0: Good afternoon, cats and kittens. Welcome to Drive Through HR, the Thursday edition. Uh, this is Dwayne Lay sitting in the captain's chair once again. And normally, this is the days where we would look into technology and how it affects your life and how it shapes the HR practice. But today, we're going to do something a little bit different and get into some current events. So, sitting on the board with me in the other captain's chairs are my co-host Mike Vanderport. Hello, Dwayne. How are you today? I'm good, and of course. Crystal Miller-Lay, right across the table from me, virtually speaking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> virtually speaking, different states in reality. Nice to see you all. How's everyone doing? I mean, this is crazy. Is this not a crazy time for our world?
0: It is. Uh, you know, Confucius once said the worst curse you could put on an enemy is to wish for them to live in interesting times. And and I think we're certainly in that. So as we as we geared up for today's show, you know, we've been talking a lot about the whistleblower complaints against the administration, uh, the Justice Department, the president's Twitter, um, all of the things going on. And, and what struck me from listening to some of the testimony today, and I, and I promise for anybody listening, like we're not going to dive into politics today. Um, well, I can't promise, because we might. Um, because but but what, we really wanna, what we really wanted to talk, or what I wanted to talk about— is, is not so much about this particular instance of whistleblowers and investigations. But from an HR perspective, you know, one of my thoughts that I shared earlier is, I don't think I've ever had a whistleblower complaint come to me where my first instinct was to go to the subject of that complaint and ask them how the complaint should be handled. So putting politics aside, putting, you know, bipartisanship, Uh, hopefully on the table, and kind of getting away from the noise, I thought it would be a good time to talk about um, what kind of complaints we're actually talking through, what kind of things happen in the the HR space every day, and and how we actually handle those, and and why, at least on the surface, some of the stories we're hearing really, really sound strange. That's my thought.
2: They really do seem strange. (laughs) It's kind of like it, and it's not only the way the, the thing was handled, it's kind of the, the way that the, the perceptions of the two sides – and, of course, that's the political stuff. Right. I mean, they're, they're parsing it out in completely – I mean, it's like two completely different worlds. Um, and I, I, I have a hard time judging it, which is – I think in the, the point I'm trying to make here, I guess, is having a hard time judging, like, who's really credible, Right. And that's part of any workplace investigation. When someone brings a complaint forward, whether it's sexual harassment, it makes an allegation against a coworker or a supervisor, how do you decide? I mean, you have to investigate, but how do you decide who they or other people are credible? And you know, I think the process we're seeing roll out in public here is not exactly mirror image to that, but it, mm-hmm. it raises the very same type of questions, I guess, is what has struck me about it.
0: So I yeah, think that there is. Think... Oh, I was going to oh, say go there's a lot of a lot of parallels with what we do in HR. Um, Crystal, I know that you've done a lot of work with this kind of stuff, so I actually was going to throw it your way to talk about kind of your experience, what you've seen, and kind of kind of set the stage for what some of these discussions are.
1: Yeah, thanks. So yes, working in real estate and, and construction, you are tangentially related to a lot of financial, um, things that have potential for financial corruption. So have dealt with a, a decent amount of this. Um, I think one of the important things to note is that there's different types of, quote, unquote, whistleblowing and complaining, right? So when we look at true whistleblowing, what we're looking at um, relates to Sarbanes-Oxley, uh, which was passed in early 2000s, I think it was like 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. But basically, the idea behind that was to afford protections to allow people who understood, who had seen and had had um, evidence of crimes and dishonest acts, to be able to pass that information on to people who needed to know it in a way that was safe and free from retaliation. Right. So there's um, like when we look at this, like we got to keep that in mind. So it really was created around crimes. Now the that's a, a federal level at the state level there are a lot of whistleblowing laws that are whistleblower laws rather, that expand beyond that into like hiring practices, discrimination, health code violations, you know that kind of thing. So, but they're different. They are they are different and I think that we have to pay attention to, you know, there's breaking a the law and then there's you know, um maybe harass in a workplace which is also legal but different different other different types of complaints right and so i think when you when you know that there's something going on when someone brings information to you in hr that someone's breaking the law like that has to be handled um fairly quickly i think and and also it needs to be handled in a way that you know you don't question the credibility of the person you get the right authorities involved and let them question the credibility around it I, I agree. I don't understand why you would take a complaint back to the complainant and go, well, what exactly did you expect me to do here?
0: So so there is an element, just kind of looking at, at again, what's in the news, there's an element there of, yeah, there's a whistleblower complaint, and yeah, we shouldn't go back to the version. But when you think about executive privilege and, and how that might play into some of those discussions, on some level it makes sense. Um, but on a – from a government perspective, that's a little different, right, because because there's laws about what they're supposed to do. So I'm just curious. Um, so, Crystal, how, how many times with any complaints you've handled, um, how many times have they been related to, um, you know, not just senior management but to, to top levels like C-level executives?
1: Um, all of them. So All of them have been? Yeah, when you're talking about true whistleblower complaints, it was all related to uh, financial crimes, related to leadership. Okay, Mike, how about you? I haven't
2: actually dealt – I think I had one safety issue, safety-type issue that was a whistleblower complaint, like a true whistleblower. Most of everything else I've dealt with has been more in the realm of HR complaints, sexual harassment, that type of stuff.
0: Okay. Crystal, I think you were about to, to say something else after that.
1: Oh yeah. So, so again, kind of going to where, to where Mike was going, there's you know dozens more that wouldn't really truly fall underneath whistleblower. But when you look at, at the whistleblower complaints or like the financial crimes and other types of crimes, corruption type crimes, um, mm-hmm. that's usually perpetrated by people who have some level of authority. Um, you don't, you don't often see that in someone who's in the line worker, or individual contributor role. Um, they have to have some sort of authority to be able to get into that situation to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. There has to be leverage.
0: I agree with that. I, I've seen, I mean, I've had some that have come in that were related to um, uh, director levels, but, but weren't all the way up to the CEO or, or other C level executives. Um, I think in, in my time in HR, I'd say I had maybe a handful of whistleblower complaints overall that came in. Um, and I think two of those reached up to the C-suite. So to your point, a lot of them do come through. Um, it, what's interesting, what I always think of is, and I and I apologize in drawing a blank on her name, but the woman who was the, the primary whistleblower with Enron, uh, I actually sat next to her on a plane when she was coming back from testifying. And the thing I thought was fascinating uh-huh. is um, her take on it was that um, Ken Lay, no relation, who was mm-hmm. on trial at the time for some things he had done with Enron, she said she thought he was completely blameless in everything that had happened. Um, because of the, as the CEO, like, you don't always get details. He's signing documents in 20 languages that he doesn't read. Um, and so I thought it was fascinating that in one of the more famous whistleblower cases, that person was actually saying, I don't think the CEO did anything wrong. But even in that instance, like, the complaint didn't go right to him. Right. To your point, like there's a process we walk through to protect the people who have brought it forward um, and and make sure that it's vetted properly. So, um, yeah, that's what I think of immediately. That's that's probably the closest uh, I've ever been to someone who was involved in a a really high level. Not probably. That is the closest I've been to someone who was involved in a really high level whistleblower complaint. So. um, So, Mike, you've you've dealt with um, with some interesting um, kind of workforce issues and, and we're going to, I want to dive into some of these a little bit. So when you've had to deal with these, like what kind of things did you hear and can you talk a little bit about the process you would follow as far as how you'd investigate that?
2: I, you know, I, I, mean, I, I think that's, so I think it's pretty basic. I mean, some of the with the safety issue um, it was interesting because what appeared to be on the I have to be careful about being too precise sure. about the, the, the fact. Um, so, th- there was an individual who was working in a, a maintenance organization inside a company and took it upon himself to write a very long, detailed memo. I don't know if you saw the. Did you read the whistleblowers' memo that they released this morning? Did you see that? I have not yet. Uh, a yeah, complaint, did. rather. Yeah, it's like five pages. It's it's footnoted with comments. You know, the person makes observations about their you know their interpretation of some of the regulations. Obviously, trying to you know say that I'm I'm trying to do this in in, the, in compliance with the law and. Trying not to go outside the boundaries of the of the system that's established for them to follow, and and that's what this one complaint from a safety perspective looked like. Um, it was like a 20-page document complete with footnotes and OSHA citations and many many other things. Um, and it, you know, you're, I was like, I don't think I could do this. Mm-hmm. This is a great. The 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 problem is or the problem was that it was. At the end of the investigation, and and I did, I mean, we did not immediately go to the to the managers that were involved. Um, you know, we met with the person who sent the memo, and it became pretty. It it became apparent pretty quickly that this person was less of a whistleblower and more of a a highly capable complainer. Um, <laughs> and and and. and In in doing an investigation uh, around around the issues, but also around the person bringing the charge forward, um, discovered that he had been um, he had had three other situations with prior employers who. Let, who reached settlements with him because of wh- whistleblower violations. Hmm. That he, he, they had retaliated, right? So mm-hmm. so he was kind of a serial whistleblower, if if, if such a thing exists, <laughs> and, 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 and and seemed to target, you know, get hired into a company and wait for a year or so and then, you know, kind of see what the lay of the land was and try to target complaints. Um, I guess the good news from that employer that I worked for at the time was that some of the complaints had some merit to, to them. And we were able to resolve and fix those, you know. And and he ultimately wound up leaving the organization on his on his own um, by his own decision. So we we didn't get caught up in the in that sort of self serving net. But mm-hmm. I, I think so so that so that that's kind of weird. But uh, and that and that's I think something that it in in the case that we're looking at now with our government, it's kind of you know it's I mean that's one of the allegations President Trump made. It's a partisan. Partisan somebody that's a partisan that has a bias towards the, the Democrats right and mm-hmm. how do you know they don't know who it is I, I think so I think that out of that out of that story or that fact set I think the things that I would point out to, to think about are you know first of all to your point Dwayne you know who, who do you start with and how do you begin to assess the thing um, you know you have to raise concerns at some point to the to the I mean, just as they did in the White House, at some point those things are gonna to have to be discussed with staff. But it's it's sort of the order that you choose. And typically I I think in these investigations or harassment investigations, you would start with the person making the allegations and get more of their story. Didn't really need that with the giant memo I got. We had all the details mm-hmm. you could ever provide and more. Um and then you work back, right? You work back up through the organization there. But but the other piece of it is, as I said it when I started, is I think assessing the credibility of all the participants and who they are, you know, m- means a lot, and it made a big difference in how we approached that whistle, the resolution and the management of that, of that whistleblower allegation. So I, I think that's probably the single biggest takeaway.
0: Now, would your process for that investigation be any different? for something considered a, a whistleblower complaint versus some other kind of employee grievance?
1: Uh,
2: yeah. I, I think if you, like, say, if you're in a union shop and somebody filed a grievance over overtime, mm-hmm. yeah, you'd walk it to the supervisor first. I mean, you would yeah. I mean, you have the grievance in hand from the, you know, it's not really a whistleblower, right. But you'd have a complaint from an employee about something that so my supervisor, so-and-so did something wrong. So, you know, you, you're going to talk to a shop steward or that employee to, you know, to glean a little more information about that that complaint. So basically, you would still go back to the, the person making the allegations in the first place. But I think you would take a lot less time in researching and trying to identify the, the issues. You know, it, it, you would walk back. The next step would be to go to the other side of the table and talk to the supervisor and say, what's up with this? You know, what's your stance? And so you're, you know, the I, the communication process and the investigation process is a lot cleaner because th- it doesn't encompass all the kind of the complexity that a whistleblower case typically does. I guess.
1: Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Uh, quick reset. You are listening to Drive Through HR here on Thursday, September twenty-sixth. We are talking about whistleblowers investigations. Um, and less about politics and more about process and kind of how we've uh, run those in our careers. So, Crystal, I know that you've had some really specific experience that you've delved into when you've got a process, you've, you've got a map on how to handle those complaints, or grievances, and things go completely off the
1: rails. Yeah, so uh, so really that was when I first started in HR, and I, and I don't need to delve too far into my story, but <laughs> for anybody who's looked at my LinkedIn page, you'll see it. No, I, I didn't start in HR. I started in, in marketing and then moved into recruiting. And then as I was being hired for a recruiting role, I was told, by the way, you now run HR. I said, great, I know absolutely nothing about HR. Sherm was very helpful to me <laughs> and to uh, my employment law attorney. But, um, but that being said, you know, one of the things that we found out really quickly was, like, there had been complaints made in the past that were just not handled correctly because there wasn't a policy in place. And so one of the first things that we had to do was create a complaint policy and then we had to make sure everyone knew how that complaint policy um, not only was structured, but how to use it. Right. And so that there wasn't going to be retaliation that maybe there had been in the past. And so, um, so, so there's that, but, but even so um, you know, one example that I'm thinking of, there was a a financially oriented thing with uh, procurement and, um, and some some things that were not fully legal, so I can't get into them. But but it took almost a year for the person to have the courage, the person that actually blew the whistle on that, that to have the courage to do so because of what had happened prior. And so, you know, um, once that came to light, like, for me, it was really just trying to manage everything in a way that kept – The rest of the leadership team from acting until we were done with the actual investigation because they were just like we want to deal with it now we want to deal with it now I'm like wait hold on we got to make sure it's true (laughs) you know (laughs) we need to investigate the vendors you know we need to talk to the person that made the complaint we need to talk to the the person that's the subject of the complaint before we do anything at all and and so sometimes it feels like hurting cats because you know when someone I, I tend to think most people are inherently good and so when someone else in your leadership team is made aware of it, which at some point you have to do to be able to do the investigation appropriately. Um, you know, they want to act, they want to get that nipped in the bud and you, mm-hmm. it just, you, you can't let them get involved until it's appropriate for them to be involved. So that complaint policy can really help with that. And then, you know, when you look at the retaliation piece and, and I think part of what I think is interesting in, in the political side is, you know, what is, what does retaliation look like, right? So when does it start to be retaliatory? If you go to that person in a public workspace and say, what do you want me to do with this? I mean, could that be considered retaliatory because at that point they're exposed? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I am not think that's exactly what happened, but that's where my mind went when I read that the first time, which was like, wow, I wonder if they were by themselves if there's other people around, mm-hmm. you know, because if you know somebody is, out there blowing whistles or, you know, turning people in, um, you know, I wonder how much that impacts your ability to really have a functional team and workspace.
0: Well, I think that's a really good point. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead.
2: Go ahead, Mike. Okay. I, was gonna, I was just going to ask a question because um, it's clear that you, you've handled uh, far more of these than I have. Um and and what whistle, whistleblower you know is a different from an em, other employee complaints. But as you mentioned, with Sarbanes-Oxley, But there 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 are other you know like I had the safety one, and those fall under you know state OSHA laws or you know other kinds of things. But but what is and you handle these as part of HR? Is that typically where whistleblower complaints wind up, or are they often handled somewhere else in the organization, say the legal? The I mean, I kind of, I've kind of seen it both ways, and I guess I'm one, I'm, since you handled more, was it always HR in, in your work, or did you work kind of hand-in-hand hand with other parts of the organization? So
1: for, so for me, I mean, both. So, so for my organization, it started in HR because we didn't have a legal department, so I really was the liaison with our attorneys. Okay. And so it, that's really where people had to go. Um, because that wasn't there. In larger organizations where there are legal par- departments, my understanding is that it may be the legal department where that starts. It sort of depends on the nature of the complaint, right? Mm-hmm. So there's various different ways that you can break the law. There's So if it's harassment, it's probably going to HR. If it's a financial-oriented cl- uh, crime and you have a legal department, then it, it's quite possible that that could start there. Um, it can also start with anyone candidly like and that I think you see more of that when there's not a structured complaint policy but the reality is that protection is afforded to them regardless of who they turn that complaint into so they could go anywhere and and you do see that I, I mean I haven't really seen that so much but um, but I have read about it, and I understand it, and I've talked with people who've, like, been pulling their hair out because people will complain to who they feel closest to, where they feel safe. And that's not always their um, their HR department. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what I was thinking is,
2: is when you think about – when you actually use the term whistleblower, you don't always hear it. You know, it, 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 I don't – I mean, I think the scale and scope is they're, – they they occur much less frequently than other kinds of complaints, but you don't Mm -hmm. often hear HR people sitting around even at like a SHRM national conference talking about how to deal with whistleblowers. So it it just, it's kind of interesting that this one feels like an HR issue, but you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. Anyway, go ahead, Dwayne, you you were going to ask a question.
0: Well, I was just going to say, I I think that's a really good observation, Mike, that we we don't tend to sit around and talk about it. Um, I know that the first time I had to do an investigation as an HR practitioner, like I had never been talked about. I'd never been told how to do it. I was just told this person has a complaint, go find out what's happening. And so, and unfortunately, I think a lot of what we look at is proper procedure when it comes to investigations really is common sense. You know, to your point, you, you, in, you investigate it, you talk to the people involved, you see if you can find out any um, corroborating evidence, you look at the credibility of the people involved and and kind of what their motivations might be. And a lot of times, you know, when it's just a grievance or it's just a complaint, you're, you're not really going to find anything. And your job is really to play peacemaker, in my experience,
2: mm-hmm. to get
0: these two mm-hmm. people to move past it and people to work to each other because, like, can't really do much else. I think when you're dealing with something like um, these, the major issues like what we've been talking about and, and what's in the news, I think there's a couple of other challenges there. Number one, you do have evidence. And there's a question of who has it and how reliable is it and how much has it been changed? Um, Again, not to get into the politics um, directly, but part of the evidence in this particular issue is a transcript of a call as it's been described, but it's not really a transcript. It's a copy of Mm -hmm. notes that were made of the call. So it's not a recording. It's not a verbatim transcription. It's just a general transcript of things that were said that may or may not be complete. Um, The other thing that, and and we're definitely seeing in this case is, when you're dealing with high-level leadership, you're also dealing with their own prejudices, their own um, type A personalities of everyone wanting to be in charge, everyone being convinced that the way they want to do it is the right thing. And I thought it was fascinating to watch in the um, testimony today. The, there were a lot of questions around why did you make the decisions you made and who directed you to make certain decisions. And the response back to that was it's really unfair that you're being you know, told you did everything wrong. And it's, it's interesting. It went from let's investigate it to let's, let's deflect Let's try to blame the other people involved in it. And I've seen a lot of that with leadership complaints. It becomes an issue of who's right, who's wrong, not what's right mm-hmm. and what's wrong. I do have a yeah, question for I, both of you. And, and, and Mike, I want to follow ahead. up something you said. Um, and, just, and, and, I, and I do want to hear your thoughts on that part, too. But just as you're talking, the question that has been stuck in my mind since you said it is this idea of a serial whistleblower. And, and, and my question, as you talk about having to deal with some of these high-level um, issues and personalities, is: Is it bad to have a serial whistleblower in your organization? I mean, you don't want the conflict, but well, if there's somebody who's actually willing to stand up, is that a good thing or is that is that a bad thing?
2: I, so, it, so this particular case, because he had done it at you know three other pre, three previous employers and was trying to loop us into his somewhat of a you know what I consider to be kind of a scam whistleblowing operation. Um, mm. You know where he tried to he tried to get a settlement um, and mm. then go on to the next employer. So so the serial whistleblower that I dealt with was bad for the organization. Um, and I felt you know we managed him with kid gloves. And as I said, he eventually wound up leaving the organization of his own volition. So um, I, you know we were glad to see him go. Um, on the other hand, you know, you mentioned Enron, and, you know, there are num- you know, numerous other kind of companies or situations where things are just being done blatantly wrong. And, you know, I don't know if someone who is a, a whistleblower inside an organization, you know, often gets the chance to kind of do it more than once.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> you, know, you know, I see that would be very unusual. To, to take that difficult path because they feel, you know, you clearly do it because you feel it's, you know, your moral imperative, right? And you put a lot of your own personal security and reputation um, at stake because there's going be, to be blowback of some sort. Even if the company doesn't retaliate directly against you, you're still going to probably be ostracized. It's probably going to impact trust, you know, from some people. And so, you know, it, I don't know if having a serial whistleblower is a good Thing because I'm not sure they really exist internally to an organization over a long period of time. If that makes sense, yeah, uh, I, does.
1: Does. Crystal, I tend to I tend to agree with that. Yeah, I tend I tend to agree with that. Like here, my thought is that it's not so much that they could like. Well, hopefully, there's not a need for them to right. So again, when we're looking at whistleblowing, I look at that and go, Gosh, I hope. <laughs> you don't need to be a serial whistleblower within a your organization. But to Mike's point, if something like that is existing if you' if your organization is so corrupt where where that's going on, you know you can only make that complaint once or twice. You can only blow that whistle a couple of times before people realize you're that person, and then they don't want you around or you're excluded from the things that would allow you to see. The things that you would talk about, so I don't, I don't know how realistic that really is. But I would say that, you know, if you, if you as an individual, I mean, we're talking about this from HR, but if we could shift for a second to, you know, if you've seen something that that is worthy of um, attention, whether it rises to the level of whistleblower complaint or not, like how do you deal with it, right? What's the right way to go about it without blowing up your career? Because I think people think about that, and that might have in like that might impact their ability to act because, you know, most of us have moved to the phase of our life where we have a lot of different responsibilities. And when we think about those things, right, it's not just like, this is wrong. I'm going to go fix it. It's, this is wrong. I want to go fix it. But if I do, will I be able to make my mortgage next month?
0: So So the question I would have then, so the question I would have uh, Crystal and then Mike, if you're interviewing someone to join your team and you find out that, in their previous role, only once, um, they had to file a whistleblower complaint. And it it impacted the company because they helped uncover some pretty serious things. And it it wasn't, you know, they didn't gain financially from it. And they ended up leaving that organization because of um, kind of the, the blowback for them doing that, which you still want them on your team. All other things being equal.
1: Yeah, I would. Um, And just as a quick anecdote, I I think sometimes it doesn't really work out that way. One of the, a company that I've worked with over the last 10 years um, had a whistleblower situation come up and and they were, the person that informed was also part of the leadership team and that person ended up running the company. So, you know, it, it can be a situation where you know, it, it works out well, but I think that's probably the minority. So yes, yeah. I would want them, but I I would wonder if um, I would wonder if their reputation would be called into question. Mike, what do you think? We have just
2: a minute. I would say, um, I would want them. You know, I mean, like you said, Dwayne, all things being equal. Um, but I, you know, I think there might be some second guessing of that decision upstream in the organization if other people found out, and so you know, you you have to be pretty clear that that person, you know, it was an unusual situation. They did the right thing. And, you know, that mm-hmm. your organization is better than the one they left, I guess. So anyway, we, I, I think we're about out of time.
0: We are good yeah, insights. Um, oh, go ahead.
1: Hold on one second before we, before we leave, because this is really important to think, regardless of where you are in your organization, if you have, you know, turn something in and and pass information and feel like you're not being treated appropriately, I would encourage you to, one, try to talk to your organization. But if that doesn't work, talk to OSHA. That's the appropriate place to go if you feel like you are being retaliated against. Um, There are three different ways that you can file a complaint. Just Google OSHA with a lower complaint and it will take you right to the page that you need.
0: Um, so thank you for sharing that. Thank you both for being here. And one last thing I would say mm-hmm. for the HR professionals who are out there, if you're if you're dealing with one of these issues and you're not sure how to bring it home, um, reach out to your network, reach out to the people you know, um, and if you don't know anybody else, you know the three of us. And if you have questions about how to do an investigation or the right way to react to something, uh, while we're not legal experts and, and would never pretend to be, um, I think I would say that you're free to reach out to us too. Uh, and if we can help the practitioners out there, we're happy to do it. Um, thank you, for everybody, for listening. Uh, Mike, Crystal, thank you for joining me and, and walking through this Thanks. topic. And we will head everybody into the weekend. Hopefully no one is out there working on a Friday, but I suspect you are. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, Wayne.